Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Bible in the News. This week we'd like to turn our attention to the Catholic Church, and in particular, the man that they call the Pope, Jorge Mario Bergoglio, as his name was until he was elected. In Revelation chapter 16, there is a verse that says, verse 13, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. First, let's turn our attention to the frogs. What are the frogs? So, fairly quickly, in a nutshell, there's not much in the Bible about frogs. They come up in regard to the plagues of Egypt and verses about that, and in Revelation chapter 16, and really that's it. So what do we make of them? In the plagues, when there was the plague of frogs, it goes to great lengths to tell us about how the frogs permeated all levels of society, from the servant to the king. There was frogs everywhere. In Psalm 78 verse 45, the King James says that the frogs destroyed them. Well, the frogs didn't exactly destroy them. If you look this word up in the Hebrew, it really could more accurately be translated that it corrupted them. And that's exactly what the frogs did. It said that they piled the frogs up in heaps and the land stank. This plague, interestingly, was the first one that moved Pharaoh to offer liberty to Israel. It was a false offer of liberty because he didn't follow through. He didn't let the people go. So we think of frogs. Why a frog? There was the plague of frogs. And really, the plague of frogs is about sheer volume. There's nothing about a frog. It's a lowly harmless kind of beast, far from scary. It barely has even an excuse for teeth. And there's nothing really to instill any kind of fear into the heart of man. They're not exactly what you'd think of the most likely thing to be a tool to influence a government, to change the mind of Pharaoh. But by sheer volume, they brought a promise of liberty. So with that biblical background, what do we think of frogs? Is there something that we see in the world around us? Is there a teaching... Is there a phenomenon that we could associate with the frog? Well, there is in history a tribe that was known as the Franks. The Franks meant the free men, and the Franks practiced what could be called an early form of democracy. The first king of the Franks that was elected was called Clovis, and he led the Franks to overcome the Gauls and they established the kingdom of France. Interestingly, Clovis was also the first of the barbarians to adopt Roman Catholicism. So, clock rolls on a little bit, and we have the French Revolution. And the war cry of the Revolution was liberty, equality, fraternity, or the brotherhood of man. And it marks the beginning of our modern era of humanism and liberalism. But the French Revolution could be seen as a desire by the French to turn back to the old tribal Frankish tradition of freedom, the power of the people. It was the common people kind of like the lowly frog that rose up and took down the ruling classes. If you would like more information about the frogs and the frog spirits, please look up back issues of the Bible magazine example, the one on the right, which is volume 11, number 2. Also, two weeks ago, we posted some classes by Brother Peter Owen, in which he speaks of the frog spirits and makes a very strong case linking the frog spirits with the modern theory of humanism, that humanism that permeates all of liberal society today and is turning our world upside down. 
So back to Revelation chapter 16, verse 13. It says, I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Who is this false prophet? There must be some system in the world that relates to the false prophet. There's got to be some significant something. There must be something out there that we can find that could be called the false prophet. Evidently, then, there must be a power strong enough to gather the nations to the Battle of Armageddon to be one of the three key players that accomplish this that is called the false prophet. Who could that be? Well, there's a lot to this subject, but we're just going to point you to a past issue of the Bible magazine, volume 14, number 2, to go into that in greater detail if you're not familiar with it. We'll just say here that that power is the Bishop of Rome and the Catholic Church. Enter Jorge Mario Bergoglio. When he was asked if he was a Marxist, he said, If anything, it is the communists who think like Christians. Christ spoke of a society where the poor, the weak, and the marginalized have the right to decide. It is they who must help to achieve equality and freedom. Well, there you have it. So we have a pope that is, as it says here, delighting the liberal left and abandoning conservatives. And even though the Catholic Church has been quite liberal since Vatican II, this pope's going further than any before him in pushing a humanistic, liberal agenda. Here's a quote from CNN. He rails against the evils of capitalist greed and climate change. And a dig at Donald Trump, he said that those who build walls to keep out immigrants are not Christian, and even flew Muslim Syrian refugees to safety in his papal plane. When asked about the existence of gay priests, he shrugged, who am I to judge? So he's a humanist and a socialist. The Pope has said some very humanistic things, which is very important because the humanism can definitely be linked with the spirit of the French Revolution and the frogs. That is the power of the people. It is the thoughts of the people. It is the magnification of man, of the human. So he's asked in this interview, Your Holiness, is there a single vision of the good and who decides what it is? He says, each of us has a vision of good and evil. We have to encourage people to move toward what they think is good. And the questioner goes on, Your Holiness, you wrote that in your letter to me, the conscience is autonomous. You said, and everyone must obey his conscience. I think that's one of the most courageous steps taken by a pope. He res responds, says Francis, and I repeat it here. Everyone has his own idea of good and evil and must choose to follow the good and fight the evil as he conceives them. That would be enough to make the world a better place. Now, if that's not a humanistic idea, I don't know what is. Relative good, and everybody has their own version, and there's no absolute truth. But the unclean spirits like frogs that come out of the mouths of these powers have a purpose. It says, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world. We won't go into the details of that, but the point we would like to make here is that they are to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty, which is known as the Battle of Armageddon. That's the gathering of the nations against Jerusalem, against Israel, to battle.
So we look at, at the Pope and we say, is he anti-Semitic? Is he saying things that would gather the nations against Israel? Well, if you look up the Pope on anti-Semitism, he actually says a lot of things that are far from anti-Semitic. He tries to portray himself as perhaps even pro-Jewish. Here's a quote of his right here. Pope Francis welcomed over a hundred leaders of the World Jewish Congress on Wednesday and issued a strong condemnation of anti-Semitism. At a private audience with WJC President Ronald S. Lauder in the morning, the pontiff made it clear that outright attacks against Israel's existence is a form of anti-Semitism. To attack Jews is anti-Semitism, but an outright attack on the state of Israel is also anti-Semitism. There may be political disagreements between governments and on political issues, but the state of Israel has every right to exist in safety and prosperity, Pope Francis told Lauder and his delegation. And if you read this, you might be excused for thinking that Bergoglio is a great supporter of Jews and Israel. But what we need to do is we need to actually look at his actions, not just what he says. And there's a particular reason to this. Peronism is something that is peculiar to Argentina, which is where the Pope is from. And many have drawn comparisons between um, his views and his actions and that of Peronism. It's really a whole political system, and it was centered around one strongman, which is why it's brought up here in this book that's called The Dictator Pope. The story is told that Peron, the former president of Argentina, in his days of glory, once proposed to induct a nephew in the mysteries of politics. He first brought the young man with him when he received a deputation of communists. After hearing their views, he told them, you are quite right. The next day, he received a deputation of fascists and replied again to their arguments, you are quite right. Then he asked his nephew what he thought, and the young man said, you have spoken with two groups with diametrically opposite opinions, and you told them both that you agreed with them. This is completely unacceptable. Peron replied, You are quite right, too. An anecdote like this is an illustration of why no one can be expected to assess Pope Francis unless he understands the tradition of Argentinian politics, a phenomenon outside the rest of the world's experience. The church has been taken by surprise by Francis because it has not had the key to him. He is a Jean Perron in ecclesiastical translation. Those who speak to interpret him otherwise are missing the only relevant criterion. His Perronism helps him to make clear, in another illuminating moment, Francis's infuriating habit of saying diametrically opposing things from one day to the next. Many have pointed out that Bergoglio is heavily influenced by Peron. If you enter it in on Google or somewhere, you'll find a slew of people making the comparisons. So the lesson here in regards to this particular thing that we're talking about right now is we need to judge him on his actions. We can't just trust his words because he is likely to try and agree with everybody and keep everybody happy. And he might just say opposite things. Let's look at what he has done to the Palestinians. This pope has gone the distance in support of Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian cause, supported the Palestinians. The image that you see above is the plaque marking the Palestinian embassy to the Vatican. Indeed, actions do speak louder 
than words. He opened an embassy for the Palestinians in the Vatican, um, protested Trump's moving of his Israel embassy to Jerusalem. So the Pope opens an embassy for an entity that is by any definition not a country, but he, he also protests the United States moving their embassy to the capital of Israel, Jerusalem. Bergoglio insists that he is not anti-Semitic, but his actions speak anti-Zionism. And by way of comparison, there was no embassy of Israel to the Vatican until 1994. That is a good long time after there was a legitimate state of Israel in the Middle East. Here's another interesting one. It was quoted all over the place that Bergoglio called Abbas an angel of peace. And then that had to be retracted. That wasn't quite an accurate translation. It really should have been, you are a bit of an angel of peace. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that doesn't really make all that much difference. Let's read this quote from the Associated Press. In a story May 16 about Pope Francis meeting with Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas, the Associated Press erroneously omitted two words when quoting the Pope. Francis told Abbas, you are a bit of an angel of peace, not you are an angel of peace. The original Italian quote was, I will not try and translate the Italian. You can see it there. A corrected version of the story is below. So Vatican City, Pope Francis praised past. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas as an angel of peace during a meeting Saturday at the Vatican that underscored the Holy See's warm relations with the Palestinians as it prepares to canonize two 19th century nuns from the region. Francis made the compliment during the traditional exchange of gifts at the end of an, of an official audience in the Apostolic Palace. He presented Abbas with a medallion and explained that it represented the angel of peace destroying the bad spirit of war. Francis said he thought the gift was, an, it was appropriate since you are a bit of an angel of peace. During his 2014 visit to Israel in the West Bank, Francis called both Abbas and Israeli President Shimon Peres men of peace. Let's have a little bit of a look this man that the Pope is calling an angel of peace. Let's look at Abbas's actions. Right now, he is refusing to negotiate with Israel about peace at all. He pays citizens to kill Israelis. If anybody kills Israelis, there's large sums of money that they get. And if they die in the act, then their family gets all kinds of support. If they go to jail, they get more money. And if they go for a longer time, they get even more, which ensures that the worst criminals get the most money. He's written a book about the Holocaust based heavily on Adolf Eichmann's writings. Interestingly, this book is not translated into English like most of the books available on the PA website. He has downplayed the Holocaust, saying that the number killed was 890,000 or a few hundred thousand rather than the six million that it really was. A year before Bergoglio assigned angelic qualities to him, he said, This is Mahmoud Abbas. Every drop of blood spilled in Jerusalem is pure. Every shahid, that is martyr, will reach paradise, and every injured person will be rewarded by God. The Al-Aqsa Mosque is ours. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is ours as well. They have no right to desecrate the mosque with their dirty feet. We won't allow them to do that. That sounds like an angel of peace to me. I don't know about you.
So what we're seeing then is we're seeing the nations gathering together to prepare war against Israel. Joel chapter 3 verse 9 in the King James Version says, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. That word that's translated prepare there is actually the Hebrew kadash, which is really more like sanctify. It's based on um, kadash, which is holy or, or separate. It's the Kodesh Kodeshim was the most holy place, the holy of holies. So Joel chapter 3 verse 9 in Young's Literal says, Proclaim ye this among the nations, sanctify a war, stir up the mighty ones, come nigh, come up, let all the men of war. In the New English translation, it says, Proclaim this among the nations, prepare for a holy war, call out the warriors, let all these fighting men approach and attack. So the point I'd like to make here is that there is a religious aspect to this war that the nations wage when they come and gather themselves together against Jerusalem to battle. They're gathering together against Zion. So Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2, 3, and 9 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So the nations, unfortunately, will come up and they will attack Jerusalem. And it says here Judah as well. But the truth is, what's in store for them is not so pleasant they will be destroyed thank you for joining us for this week's bible in the news please join us again next week for another edition god willing